you have your Bibles, turn with me to chapter uh, 21, Matthew is where we are. We're actually, it's, it's Palm Sunday, everyone. It's not Palm Sunday, but that's where we are in the text. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, actually, the last five chapters, the last four chapters of Matthew are, are essentially the, the last five days of Jesus' life. Now, there are instances in there that aren't chronologically set, but he spends a good amount of time talking about the last week of Jesus' life. And so that's where we are in, in Matthew chapter 21. And, and we, he's just kind of come out into this spot. And he's been working his way to, towards Jerusalem. And so this is kind of the culmination of his, of his point at Jerusalem. Before we get there, I want to talk to you a little bit about parenting. Because parenting is what really can make everyone get mean to each other in the church. Um, I, my parenting, personally. Uh, we have tried not to... Um, reward, like, like reward parenting. We try not to tell our kids, like, if you do this, you'll get this, but, but who are we kidding? Like, there's just sometimes desperate times come for desperate measures. Like, if you just would stop doing this, we'll give you this. And so, yeah, that's probably more me than, than Jen, but, um, we've done that. And then there's other times where we haven't really done that, but we've, Jen and I would be in conversation. We'll say something like, Hey, do you want to go to the park after dinner? Or, Hey, do you want to do you want to do this? And we're, we're just having our conversation and we're not trying to like manipulate or lead our children into it, but we'll say, hey, let's, if, if they can finish their dinner time and we have enough time, let's go to the park. So then all of a sudden our kids are like, hum, 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 you know, like they're eating the food that they just five seconds earlier didn't want a single bite of and weren't hungry. But now they're plowing through their meal. I mean, plowing through the meal because they now have a motivation that, that's greater than the food that they're eating right now. Right, their desire is to is to go to the park or to do whatever we're asking in that setting, and so they've they've they plow themselves to that food, and they 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 end up deciding, okay, I'm going to eat this food because the food the distaste I have for this food is is less than the joy I will have from the park, and so for them, it's not even really that they're being obedient from to their parents. Or I've said, hey guys, you need to eat your dinner. You need to you need to do this. You're growing. Whatever reason you have, you need to eat your vegetables or or whatever it may be. There's no real obedience to that. There's the desire for the reward. There's a desire for the outcome of if I just finish this, I don't care. Like plug my nose and plow it down. I can go to the park. And so their whole intent and purpose of doing it isn't to be obedient children, but it's to be able to receive what they want. And if we were really, really, really honest with ourselves, I mean really honest, and this is going to be one of those ones where you're going to have to kind of look at the motivation of you and, and ultimately not think about the motivation of someone else. So don't, when I say this next line, don't start thinking of the person sitting next to you. Okay, don't start, don't start thinking of that one person at one time. Like if we were honest with ourselves, and I mean at the core of who we are, how often does that equate to our walk with God? where he's asking us to do something out of obedience, and it's so hard, I mean so hard to do it, that we actually probably predominantly fail at doing that in obedience. We fail at walking with him in obedience, but then when there's this thought of blessing or this thought of reward, all of a sudden it's easier for us to go, well, yeah, I I think I can do that. I think I can do that. Maybe this is a hard way for you to see this, but let let me say it backwards. Have you ever felt like you deserve something from Jesus or God? and didn't receive it, and then you've had a faith crisis. See, because that's the tail end of it, and realistically what it means is you are coming into this, whatever this circumstance is, with the idea that Jesus was going to fulfill something, and if he doesn't fulfill what you had in mind and your expectations, then he must not be God. Then he must not really be who he says he is, because I wanted this, but I didn't get it. See, I think a lot of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, there's an aspect of our life 
where we are continuing to wrestle with the fact as to whether or not we're going to obey Jesus. And we, we keep going at it with this willpower, which is an exhaustible resource of, if I just obey long enough, he'll give me this. In fact, maybe some of you, you've prayed this, right? You, you made a mistake. Maybe you, you, you looked at the computer screen for the wrong reasons, or you drank too much, or you're in this relationship, and you say this. After the moment, you say this. You're like, okay, okay, God, I won't do that anymore if you will X. If you'll do this, if you'll just do this. I won't anymore do that. And so you've, you've created this kind of bartering system with Jesus and what it looks like. And you, on paper, look the part. You can even say the right things. But ultimately, when it comes to following him in obedience, the motivation behind doing it can be our issue. And that's essentially what we're going to see in the triumphal entry. It's, it's, it's very, like, not triumphal if you look in, in comparison to what a king would normally do in this time. But, but we see these people celebrating Jesus for the one that's going to rescue them and save them and Lord and, and all those things. And then a few days later, we see him yelling, crucify him. Mike Gordon taught on this a couple years ago on Palm Sunday, which it makes more sense then. Um, <laughs> but he, he'd use the line, you're either going to kill Jesus or crown Jesus. There's no in-between. You don't get to stand in this middle line. You're either going to crown him or or kill him. And that, I think, is ultimately when it comes down to the very baseline of obedience and following Jesus. When it comes to what does it really mean to follow him, you're either going to crown him with that in your life or you're going to kill him. And so chapter 21, Jesus is, is working his way into Jerusalem. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage or, or, and Bethany, which is to the Mount of Olives, this is Bethpage. We actually have no, um, artif- uh, no artifacts to show where Bethpage is, but it makes sense that it was right next to Bethany. Bethany, obviously, is where Jesus was born, in case you're wondering, right? Or Bethlehem is where he was born. Bethany is where he raised Lazarus from the dead. And so they're all kind of in this eastern side of Jerusalem. And I've, I've been at the Mount of Olives. They're kind of in this area right here. And so they're just about to enter the eastern gate. Of, of Jerusalem into the, into the city, and you have to go through, through these areas. And so that's where they are. They're at this, this spot, Bethpage, Bethany, right around there, okay? And they, they are close to Jerusalem. And Jesus, and then Jesus sent two disciples, we don't know which one, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. And then, then Matthew goes on to say, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And so this is an interesting section. Matthew's the only one that gives us two animals. Mark, John, and Luke all only talk about one donkey. And so there's been a lot of disagreement as to whether or not Matthew is, is making this up. Or he's wrong in his account here. And the scholars have kind of disagreed and argued. But, but it really does make sense because this prophecy is, is not one prophecy. It's, it's a mixture of two. It's a mixture of Zech- Zechariah 9.9 9 and Isaiah 62. So, or 52. So there's, there's, two, there's two combinations here of, of, of prophecies that are being fulfilled by Jesus doing this very thing. 
What's unique, though, is that there's two donkeys. And so then we go a little bit further, and they talk about putting their cloaks on. And so some people have tried to shoot holes in the theology and saying, what did Jesus ride, like, two different donkeys at the same time, like, standing on, like, going in? Like, what's going on? And why does everyone else only say one? But it makes a lot of sense because we get from the Gospel of Mark that this colt, this had never been ridden before. And so it was very common for a young, young colt to have the mother of that colt to be with it to help keep it kind of calm and at bay. And so really, there's, there's no argument as to whether or not, well, this is a false account or not. Essentially, he gets two donkeys. That's really what it comes down to, a mom and a baby. And we know that the, the baby, it's a baby because it's never been ridden before. And so he goes in and has this conversation. Now, whether or not Jesus had set this up ahead of time and he had gone in there and said, hey, look, guys, I'm going to come back someday and I'm going to say I need a donkey here. And so when that happens, just they're gonna, you can ask why and they're going to say the Lord told me. If he set it up, great. Or if it's just that he knew where the donkey was and they knew enough about Jesus because of where they were in proximity, so close to Lazarus being raised from the dead. Either way, prophecy is fulfilled. Jesus is on mission. He's on point. He gets these, 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 these donkeys and gets ready to ride them in. Now, what's unique about riding a donkey is that if we're going to crown Jesus as king, or if you look at any other layup of what a king does when they come into the city, this was a common, common thing. The gates would open up. There would be huge parades and people saying, this is the king. And they would always come in in this huge entourage, big white war horse and, and gold every which direction, and this big, big, amazing statement of how awesome of a king they are. Look at what we've done. We've conquered. And so they would ride in and everyone would kind of be watching them ride in with their splendor and their amazingness and how, how big and grandiose of a statement. And Jesus goes for a donkey. Okay? Jesus, Jesus is, is predominantly doing something that no one in this section right now, no one in these people actually understands really what he's doing. Matthew tells us, well, it's to fulfill a prophecy. So we just read that and assume, well, they all understand what's happening. But what Jesus is doing is he's doing two things. One is he is staking his claim as the Messiah. He's, he is walking in and posturing himself, and I am the Messiah King. Here I am. But he's coming in in a way that makes no sense to them that day. Now, let me, let me help you understand that for a second here. They were ruled by Rome. They had, they had Caesar was over them, and they had all, you had all these different rulers in place, and then you had Jewish synagogue leaders and everything, but they were kind of underneath the Roman rule, and they were underneath Roman rule. They were oppressed by them, although they had a fairly decent life in the sense that they were, no one was trying to occupy. There was no war, really, because the Rome had, had taken it from them. And so they were protected, but it was, it was really, really harsh protection. And so what every single Jewish person wanted was the Messiah to come in and crush Rome. They want him to come in with an army and destroy. In fact, what's unique is, is this, when Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, it's around Passover. It's the time that they celebrate their freedom from, from Egypt, them coming out and being freed in that way. And so this is this picture that Jesus is putting into him, like, hey, here's the king, but he's coming in on a donkey, and he doesn't have a sword. And for them, they're going, whoa, wait, wait a second. I thought you were going to come and destroy Rome. I thought you were going to come and crush Rome. I had hoped that that's what you were going to do. In fact, even the disciples who had heard him say that I must die before this, this kingdom begins. I must die before it happens. I must, I must die on a cross. I must suffer much. Even they were still holding out for, bring the swords. Let's do this. Let's conquer Rome. Let's take over. 
And so here's this setting where Jesus, to fulfill prophecy, goes and gets on the most humble of animals and rides a donkey into Jerusalem. And so he has this all set up, gets there in place, and they come in. Now, what's unique about this is the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. Verse 6. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks. That's the whole, is he riding too? No. And he sat on them. He didn't sit on both of them. He sat on the cloaks, just so you guys know. It's a play there. And, and, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches, we learn from the Gospel of Mark, palm branches, from the trees and spread them on the road. Now, to lay your cloak down for someone is to, is to posture yourself in a spot of complete Surrender to them. To say, like, to take off your cloak and lay it down so that they can walk on it, it's you saying that you, I am not worthy of the ground you walk on. You are worthy to just walk all over my cloak. And so it's an interesting posture. Now, most of these people that are doing this are probably Galileans. Most of these people are kind of from this area. There's probably not a lot of people inside of Jerusalem out here yet because there was a lot more opposition in Jerusalem, but most of these people are coming to Jerusalem for the Passover. Probably a couple hundred thousand, maybe a million people in this area, the numbers are all over, that come during this time to celebrate this. And so they're laying down their cloaks and, and, and cutting palm branches, and they're laying it before Jesus so that Jesus can walk through it on the donkey. And this is, a, this is what anyone would do if they, were, if they were believing that whoever they were putting in place was their king. This is a way of I'm submitted to you as king. And so they lay these things down and they're, 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 they're expecting there was this huge commotion, thousands and thousands and thousands of people creating this massive entourage. Now, if you look at Jerusalem, if you go to the city itself, it's, it's elevated. So when it's elevated, you would see anywhere from up there, you could see down into where Bethpage and everywhere else is. And so they're going to see this huge crowd. They're going to hear this commotion going. And Jesus is, is, is making his way into Jerusalem through the eastern gate. And he's going, and they're, they're laying down their cloaks. And they're spreading out their branches. And then the crowds went before him, and that followed him were shouting. So that's, a, that's done in the tense where it's over and over and over again, almost like they were saying the same thing over and over and over again in unison. So it was just happening. And they're shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when they entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And so he, he, they're, they're yelling, Hosanna. Now, Hosanna translates, Save me. Save us. Save us. And so they're believing that Jesus can save them. They're actually even calling him son of David. Son of David was the, the, the messianic term. It was the term for the Messiah. So they were, they were proclaiming that he is the Messiah king, and they're pleading with him to save us. Hosanna, save us. But see, and here's, here's where they got it wrong, and here's where you and I get it wrong, is that they expected him to save them with the way that they wanted him to, wanted them to, wanted him to save them. They had already written out their plan of what it needed to look like. It's, it's like your situation right now, your, your, your financial troubles that you're in. Right? You, you've already mapped out how to get out of it. And you're asking God, okay, I need to get out of this, God. Will you do this? 
or your relationship problems. I just don't know if this is going to continue. I'm not sure if, if our marriage is going to work out or, or if this friendship is going to work out. And you're, if, if you would, God, if you would just change them or if you would just do X, Y, or Z, everything would be okay. And see, that's even, even going to God is the right thing. In fact, everything these guys were saying, these, this crowd were saying was true. Save us. He is going to save them. Save us, King, the son of David. Yeah, he is. He's the Messiah. They were, they were spot on. Hosanna in the highest is to proclaim, um, save us from heaven, from the heavens. So that would be more of a, a, a plea to God in itself than necessarily Jesus. I don't think they understood what they were saying in that moment. But they're, they're calling. They're saying, save us. Save us. And every single one of them. Now, albeit we see after this that he was getting, doing healing and some of these other things for them. But most of them, what they wanted him to save they wanted to be free from the, from the oppressors. They wanted their, their, the Roman rule to be gone, and they wanted their own city back and their own rule back. And they wanted to know that, that for them, they could finally say that we are our own people ruled by our, our, our king, a true son of David, and no longer oppressed by these taxes and everything else that the Romans are suppressing us, and we will be complete. And so they had a picture that honestly isn't even wrong. They, they had the right idea. They said the right things, but what happened? What, ha- what happened? It's the same thing that happens in yours in my life. We're focused all on the wrong thing. We're, we're, we're only excited about doing something for Jesus or for God when we know the outcome. In fact, have you ever, have you ever noticed this? When, when, when life's really, really hard, when life's really, really hard, the church fills up. Like if there's a, if there's a disaster, an earthquake, or, or 9-11 or any of that stuff, the church explodes in attendance because people are finally asking questions that they've really been asking for a while, but now they really feel like they need them answered. And so people run to the church when it's crisis or when it's trouble. So they run to, to Jesus. This could be the Messiah. He's going to free us from home. So let's go. And Jesus is, is, is doing so much more. He's doing so much more than that. In fact, he's, he's, he's not going to just defeat Rome. He's going to defeat sin and death. He's not going to just free them from the oppressor. He's going to free them from the oppressor, Satan. I see Jesus is doing something so much bigger than what they wanted. This is why, and, and granted, we got to assume that there weren't a lot of people in Jerusalem in this crowd that are yelling this, and maybe that there weren't as many in Jerusalem when they're yelling crucify him, but I'm pretty sure there was a decent bleed over there because we didn't see a lot of people hanging out with Jesus afterwards on the cross. But, but, but they missed it. So they had said, Jesus, we will crown you Messiah King. Here's, here's my cloak. Here's, here's some palm branches. In fact, I'm going to yell, save us. Modern day, it's like, Jesus, I will crown you Lord of my life. I'll go to church. I'll serve. Here's some money. I'll even say some nice things. Maybe I won't cut off as many people in traffic. Like, I, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to really get this figured out. As long as you do what I expect. I, I'm all in, Jesus, as long as all in means that I get what I really want. And it's not that we don't want Jesus to save us. It's not that they don't want Jesus to save them. But they wanted him, to save, wanted him to save them in a specific way, the way they'd assumed all along. Crush Rome. 
destroy Rome. They wanted to sit back and watch a, a war where they were just destroyed, onslaught news, like they could do no wrong. And just watch people disappear. And then they felt saved. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. I, 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 love, I love your save me comment. Man, I love the cloaks. I love your church attendance. That's awesome. I, lo- I love your service. I, even, I, lo- I love that you give what's rightfully mine back to me through money. Like, I, I love all that. But you, but you got to understand, I'm, I'm doing something in you right now that you can't make sense of. In fact, what I'm doing is so much bigger than what you're expecting that I don't even know how to say it to you. I've tried, and you're not getting it. It's just bouncing off your head. I keep telling you over and over again, I'm about making much glory of the Father. I have a purpose. You have a purpose. Why would you expect something different? So let's, let's see this through for us. For us, it's, it's, God, I really want this relationship. And he's saying, well, that's great. I'm glad you want that relationship, but, but I'm really about bringing glory to the Father. And in that relationship, as good as you may think it is, it's distracting you. It's, it's pulling from you your faith in me, and so I, I can't let you have that relationship. God, I, I just, I want a little, little bit more money. If I could get a little bit more money, I could give you more. He's saying, no, 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 that, that's great. How about you just give me what you have? Because what I'm doing is something in your heart that can't be fixed with a little bit less or more money. See, where this really hits, kind of the rubber hits the road for us, is when he calls us to obey him in something that makes no sense at all. Right? And you and I, we've experienced this. God has called us to something that's, that's hard. This is difficult. In fact, we look at it and we go, I'm not even sure that that's possible. But you, you see him, his spirit leading you, saying, be faithful. Come with this. But, but what am I going to get out of this, God. I mean, what, what, like, what am I going to get? And none of us would really say that, but we practically live that way, right? Okay, God, I will obey you if you do this, this, and this. Now, I'm, I'm not going to pretend to understand exactly how it works, but, but the one thing that we get from Jesus is that when you obey him, you remain in his love, just as he remains in his Father's love. And if there's ever a relationship with Jesus that I wanted to have, I wanted to have one that like Jesus has with God, except for the whole deity thing, and I'm not talking about that, okay? But Jesus understood how to be submitted and in love and obey his Father. He didn't do a single thing that didn't come from the Father first. And Jesus is asking the same of you. And at times that may mean yelling, Hosanna, save us, Lord. Save us. Sometimes save us from ourselves. But just be ready for him to save you the way that he wants to. Be ready for him to do what he asks. It's, it's interesting. It's like people will pray this, right? This is, this is why prayer is such a fascinating and a beautiful thing. You'll, you'll pray to God, God, help me with this situation. And Jesus does what he does best. Okay, I'm going to help you with this situation. But he comes in and says, well, now, okay, you, you think it's this over here, but really we're going to dig a little bit further down. And it's in your heart that's the issue. So to take care of this, I got to do this, 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 all the way down to your heart. And then this will be taken care of. And oh, that's going to take a little bit of time. In fact, I'm sorry. Sorry, guys. I can't, I can't crush Rome right now because I'm doing something so much more beautiful, something so much bigger. In fact, I wrote it down. N.T. Wright has a quote. He says, the people wanted a prophet, but this prophet would tell them that their city was under 
under God's imminent judgment, chapter 24. They wanted his Messiah, but this one was going to be enthroned on a pagan cross. They wanted to be rescued from evil and oppression, but Jesus was going to rescue them from evil in its full depths, not just the surface evil of Rome occupation and the exploitation by the rich. Precisely because Jesus says yes to their desires at the deepest level, he will have to say no or wait to the desires they are conscious of and expressed. Yeah, like, because Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to save you, that means you have to say no to a whole lot of things that are going on in your life right now. My question is, is, have you ever thrown a party for Jesus, celebrated Jesus like crazy when life is just stinky? Seems kind of weird, right? Man, life is horrible. Praise Jesus. Let's go. This is awesome. He's doing something amazing. But that's essentially the posture at which understands that he's in control in the thick of it, in the, in the hard stuff and in the good stuff. You're asking God to save you why things are going well? Because our, our propensity, our tendency is when things are going well, we don't need him. We don't need him if things are going well. I got money and I got friends and I got a good job and my kids are good and no one's sick and I just, this is great. And so we just kind of check out on Jesus, which is what most of the crowd did on this triumphal entry just a few days later. They went from, like Mike said, crowning him to kill him. What he asks of us is too much. I can't take it. Just get rid of him. I don't want anything to do with it. And they didn't understand that him dying was a big part of them being freed from the very thing that they were asking to be freed from. So could it be, I mean, could it be that, that you are experiencing a hard situation right now? You are experiencing something where you're like, God, show up. And he's going, I'm here. I've been here the whole time. I'm doing something so big right now that you can't see it because you're so fixed in on this present day, laying your cloak down in the palm branches, whatever that may look like, and you're so fixated on this because you assume what you're going to get out of doing this is immediate gratification. And I'm doing something so much bigger than immediate gratification. I'm doing something in your heart that no one can do. Not even you. So I don't, I don't know if you have celebrated Jesus. I don't know if you're following him in obedience because you're expecting that reward because you have these expectations or if you are feeling like right now God is just not answering my prayers I have been asking and asking and asking I, I just want to say like either you're asking the wrong thing or God said yes but just not yet okay yeah yeah I'm, I'm going to deal with that I'm, I'm doing something but you got to understand for me to do what, what you're asking me to do it's going to take a lot more than that you know if, if you go to an accountant for your, your finances I say, hey, I need your help with your finances. And he says, okay, well, let me see all of your, um, your pay stuff. Mm, no, I don't want to give you those. Well, okay, well, um, how about like your last year's taxes? Yeah, I'm not sure you should have those either. The accountant would say, you're, you're an idiot. I'm not doing your finances. No, an accountant says, okay, you want me to help with your immediate finances and see where we're going? I need to know everything that's happening. And here's the best part is Jesus knows everything that's happening. He's not confused by your life. He's not confused by your circumstances. He knows absolutely everything that's happening on, and he's still graciously going, all right, I can work with this. You're my daughter. You're my son. I, I got this. Come on. Pick yourself up. Pick that cloak up. It's dirty. You, you laid it down for the right kind of motivation, but the wrong reason. And just because uh, three days later I'm, I'm crucified, four days later I'm crucified, doesn't mean that, that you, you were wrong. In fact, take heart, disciples, those of you that follow Jesus. 
the disciples of Jesus. I mean, the ones that were walking with him. Right when Jesus first shows up, he, he conceals himself. We get the story in Luke. And the first words out of them when he's like, what's going on? Is we had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one. And he's walking with them right now. We had hoped he was going to do this. We had hoped he was going to do this. And then he just unfolds all the scriptures. Take heart. Because there's going to be a moment where you're going to realize that your hope was on something else. He's going to restore that hope back to him. And then he's going to unfold the story. And you're going to look back and go, man, I'm so glad that this didn't happen. I'm so glad that he did this. I'm so glad that I saw him work in this way. And he's going to do it in a way that you're not going to be able to, man, I'm so awesome for being patient. Or I did this. He's going to do it in a way where you're going to go, man, God, you, you are amazing. You know what? You are, you are king. And you're going to put that crown on him, even through the trials, even through the hardships. You're going to crown him as your rightful king. And you're going to live in obedience to that king because he is God. He is king. And he is good despite your circumstances. The, the band's going to come up and we're going to, we're going to worship some more. And I, I want to challenge you with something, okay? The, the song we're doing, is, is, it has the word hallelujah in it, okay? And hallelujah is, 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 a, is two words, essentially. It's basically a call to, to, to praise God by name. And we, we use this word, we're like, oh, hallelujah, that was a great burger, a burger or whatever. Like, we just, you know, we use it however, not booger, that was terrible. Um, <clears throat> we've, we've overused this word so much that I, I think it's lost its value in what it means. But it's essentially standing the person next to saying, hey, hey, praise God by name. We have his name. We can say his name. We can declare his name. The same God that rode in humbly on a donkey. Same God that sent Jesus to... to, to to follow him in full submission and humility, to die for you and I so that we can even have things like baptism and life and joy. And so I want to I challenge those of you that are here that are followers of Jesus. This is, I mean, I've been following Jesus for a long time. Even if you're in a spot right now where you are like, I, I, I'm really struggling to see what he's doing right now. Like I look and, and all I see is, 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 is hardship and darkness. And I'm, I'm really struggling. I want you just to, to grab in there and say, God, give me, give me the strength to, to say this, not just to say it, but to say it like I actually mean it. Praise God. Praise him for what he has done for you. Praise him for what he is doing in you. And praise him for what he's going to do through you. He gets the glory for all of it. And so I would challenge you, encourage you, those who follow Jesus, to stand up and sing this like you mean it. I mean, like you really mean it. Picture maybe just for a moment where the Galileans are walking with Jesus and they're saying, Hosanna, this is the son of David. They're, they're declaring publicly that he is the Messiah King. And they just missed it. Well, good news, you and I have the rest of the story. We know that he didn't stay in the grave. We know that he, he did way more than conquer Rome. In fact, he gave all of us an opportunity to walk in newness of life. And so if not anything but the reason of knowing that you can be in relationship with him, would you, would you just, I mean, scream hallelujah to be able to call, praise God by his name. And those of you that, that you're like, I don't, I don't know if I believe this. I'm not sure I do. Then, then my encouragement would be to you, you're here for a reason. It's not, it's not an accident. God is, is intentionally pursuing you. He has a desire to show you his goodness and his love. And right now you're going, I don't have any hope in this because I've seen it, I've been burned by it, I've been burned, I've done this, and I, I expected him to do something in my previous church, and he wouldn't, and I'm just, I'm done. It's, ah, 
You're coming back at him with all these expectations of him having to do something to your end. When he's going, no, no, no. I'm going to do something to my end, and it's going to be way better for you in the end. So maybe it's, it's time for you to just, just sit and listen. And, and if, if God calls you to join in the brothers and sisters of the church around you that are praising God to do it, then, then I, I, I encourage you to stand up and proclaim it boldly. Because he's a king worth crowning. He's a king worth following, even in the hardest. Even when we can't see the end. Even if we accidentally went the wrong way. Like even if your motivations are wrong. You see what Jesus does? He's, he's, even with their wrong motivations, he still fulfills all of the prophecy. He still does everything that he came to do on mission every time. We pray, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, coming as a prince of peace. Coming into, this, coming into this world as an opportunity for us to feel and live in peace. God, I know in a room this size, even those that profess to follow you, it's hard to believe that there is peace in our own lives. And so, God, I pray for those, uh, our brothers and sisters in the room that are struggling. They're struggling to see you work. They're struggling to see your, um, your movement in their life. God, I pray that you would remind them of the peace that can be had through you and you alone. And God, for those in the, in the room that... that continue to, to battle with whether or not they're going to surrender to you or they, they keep wrestling with what is in it for them, like life is in it for them, God. A newness of life, a life that they've never, ever experienced. And I think of my friend Nick today proclaiming, I'm going to follow Jesus for the rest of my life because I've experienced something drastically different than what I've experienced the rest of my life. Only you can do that, God. And so I thank you for your work in our lives. And I pray, God, I pray boldly that we would, we would proclaim save us, but we would proclaim save us even if it meant being obedient to a cross. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.